Hey, everybody, we are here to tell you about a cool new feature on the website that we would love for you to check out. Head to howtosplitatoaster.com and check out the bottom of the page. You'll find a box floating there that says, quote, ask Seth and Pete, close quote. This box is magical. You just type a question in there and the robots behind the scenes will search the actual audio of our entire library of past episodes and not only give you a short answer to your question, but point you to the specific episodes where we discussed your topic so you can listen yourself. At this point, we're just testing it. To know if this feature should be a permanent feature on the website, we need your help. For that, we need you to ask a lot of questions. So head to howtosplitatoaster.com and click the box, Ask Seth and Pete. The robots will do the rest. On with the show. Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from True Story FM. Today, your toaster split and half of it is very broken. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Seth Nelson. As always, I'm here with my good friend, Pete Wright. Today, we're taking you on a sensitive subject. What happens in a marriage when one partner is living with mental illness? How do you communicate? When do you stay in the marriage? And how do you determine when it's time to leave? To help us through this conversation, we have a couple, two people married to one another, each with a first marriage affected by partners living with profound mental illness. They also happen to be best-selling authors and podcasters, number one ranked champion BMX racers, and all-around cool people. Scott and Emily McKay, welcome to the toaster. Thank you. It feels good to be toasted. We're getting used to it down here in sunny San Antonio where it's been 108 degrees. So what is that on the toaster level? Is that like burnt? Is it kind of just a little bit brown? Well, having lived in the Arizona uh, climate previously, I don't know if we're completely burnt yet to a crisp, but we're definitely toast. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if we don't get any water soon. Oof. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, we're we are uh, you know as much as we laugh, we're talking about a, a a serious issue that we've never talked about on this on this podcast, and that is uh, mental illness in the marriage. And uh, you both come to us. You are a couple. You've been happily married for many many years. Well, okay, you've been married for many many years happily. Okay, good. Thank you. Qualify. I don't want to qualify it for you. It's not my job. My parents used to say, and they were married fifty seven years until my mom passed. My parents used to say, like on their 40th wedding anniversary. We've been happily married for four years. <laughs> 1967. <laughs> 1989. In all those years when the children were not in the house, by the way. Oh, good. Yeah, she's very, she's keeping a diary. That's a right. diarist response. Exactly. So happily married for many, many years, but we're both previously married. Yes, that's true. Mm-hmm. And it's the previous marriage uh, marriages that we, we want to talk about a, a little bit today. Um, let, let's start with some of the background story, Let, the realization that you were in marriages with a, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, a compromised partner. You're being too kind. Okay. Yeah, it was, uh, I think, uh, crazy is a better word. I, I, let's, let's put it this way. You know, when you're dating after a divorce, everybody's got a crazy ex, right? Um, except she and I really did. And I remember being so codependent, having 
been led to believe I'm the crazy one and it was all my problem and I was the one who wasn't thinking straight that I, I started dating and I was I, I was really concerned that if I let women know that I had like no seriously clinically crazy ex, they would all run away. They, they wouldn't want anything to do with me. And then Emily came in and said, so do I. We're made for each other. Yeah, you're 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 skipping straight to that part. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the best part. <laughs> it is the best part. But I mean, I, I was amazed by not only how many people had similar stories, and and that continues into our coaching practice to this day, but also how many women were were very sympathetic. It's like you know, if that crazy woman ever tries to come between you and your daughter, even if we're not dating anymore, I'll go to court, stay right by you. You know. So I mean, I, I realized that. Uh, First of all, I wasn't alone. Second of all, I probably wasn't the crazy one in this crazy relationship. And third of all, that just because I was afraid of something or fearing something, that wasn't necessarily the, the fear that other women, that women I was meeting would have. Well, mine was a little bit different in the terms that uh, I think like four or five years into my marriage, my ex started acting weird and it wasn't until like I think a year or two years into it that he was finally diagnosed. But in that time period, um, he would, you know, we had a conversation. He says, I don't love you anymore, but, you know, we're going to stay together. Crazy stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I had to endure through all that. The, you know, part of the uh, arrangement was as long as you're on your meds and you work with me, we'll get through this. Until he went totally on the deep end and it became dangerous for me to, to stay in the same household. It was it got crazy. Well, and that's so. Both of you have said have have mentioned diagnosis. What what was the diagnosis? What are they? What were they dealing with? Mine was paranoid schizophrenic. Okay, I'm not sure. My ex has evaded any of the possible diagnoses. Hmm. Okay, right, including the Holy Grail, which is what used to be called multiple personality disorder. Yeah. Okay. Right. My wife, my ex wife, truly is psychotic. She's bipolar one. She's schizoaffective disorder. Most of the time, those are men, and most of the time, they're in jail. Because schizoaffective is not paranoid. I'm running away from it. I'm going to go get what's coming to get me. Yeah, right. Um, she's also borderline personality disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, pretty much the entire alphabet soup. Mine was like hers. I want to, I want, if you know, anybody's out there, they're probably thinking, why did you marry this crazy woman? Well, that was, com that was coming. Because it was the same as hers. It, on set after, there were red flags. So what does that awakening look like? What do those red flags look like when you, because it's, it's not like, oh, I wake up one day and things are very different. Or was it? Well, the red flags were there when I was dating him. I just didn't know, I didn't know the illness uh, I think now looking back, you know, understanding what schizophrenia is and what mental illness is, I would have spotted it right away. I mean, he was having stuff like he thought he could do, you know, foretell the future. He was having deja vu. I have vuja day a lot. <laughs> have, you guys, have, have you ever had vuja day? Uh, didn't she used to be a soul artist in the 80s? Right. No. <laughs> Very good. Right. Big Very hair. Good. Heaven's name, why are you doing this thing? Yeah. So Vuja Day is the feeling that none of this shit has ever happened before. And I get that a lot. All the time. And yeah. this is fresh That's and new. True. Yeah. Well, let me add a little bit of dimension. Sure. Not to be confused, a little bit of dementia. I thought that's where you were going. <laughs> yeah. It, it's easy after you've done all the research and had all this water under the bridge and have all this history to wonder what the hell you were thinking 25 years ago. But 
I grew up around sane people and, and I, I'm not, I don't have degrees in abnormal psychology. So, you know, I mean, for years, the whole idea of schizophrenia was, you know, I may be schizophrenic, but we'll always have each other. People, people misconstrued what schizophrenia actually is, thinking that everybody was crazy was multiple personality disorder. And, and they call it disassociative personality disorder nowadays. But that's, you know, that's too politically correct. Everybody knows what you mean when you say multiple personality disorder. And that's what my ex suffers from. It's crazy, by the way. It's horrifying. The red flags when I was dating her were kind of some of the borderline pointers, some of the borderline indicators that, you know, anything prosperous has to be blocked. I'm not happy unless there's drama. But you don't really see that as a psychosis. I know she had trauma in her life over some things. And I know there were some certain things that she was really sensitive to talk about. And we just avoided it because I'm, I was a very optimistic, generous person. Optimistic, generous people are wonderful when they find each other, but optimistic, generous, optimistic, generous people tend to be taken advantage of by very extremely selfish people and indeed crazy people because the optimist, generous optimist is like willing to keep giving and willing to hold up hope that this is temporary or, you know, we can fix this, especially being a guy. We think we can fix everything. So the next thing you know, I'm married to her because she's cute and she laughs at my jokes. But there's this dark psychosis looming. And, and you know, like Emily said in her marriage, it onset over time. Both of our respective exes were late onset with the schizophrenia. Yeah, it's not. People view this as a light switch. And I view it more as a dimmer. It isn't. It's a frog that Boring. got boiled. Yes. That's right. That's right. It's it, It's not like one day everything changed it's wow this kind of progressed slowly sometimes there'd be a couple days in a row that was what's going on here and then right the next it's thing degenerative. You know, it everything's is. fine exactly and sometimes those behaviors happen when you're not around as if if you have a spouse who travels for work they might have that episode for the three days during the week that they were traveling yeah. and so it might be onsetting quicker than you realize because you're not seeing it that's true. That may have been something going on in mine. In my relationship, Fred was really good at hiding it. You know, he knew when he was having an episode and mm. he would he would do everything he can to control. And if he couldn't control it, he would go to uh, one of the bedrooms, close the door and refuse to have any contact with me. I think it's kind of like when people drive drunk and they see police lights in their rear view mirror. They sober up real quick when they have to or they act like it. They know how to act. Or they think they sober up. They think they, they sober don't. up, right. Yeah, right. right. We still know so little about how the brain works. We're still basically in the nascent stages of psychology, ultimately. that I think there's a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of really unknowns, a lot of, a lot of uh, variables, X factors. And I think one of them is, is we really don't know what it's like to be them. But two things that I've come to the conclusion of is that they know – when they're being crazy. And I think they also like when they're being crazy. They, they, they tend to want to avoid the meds and, and go to their happy place. And the thing about schizophrenia, maybe we should just throw this on the table. Schizophrenia in our vernacular, as we were with both jointly been told to understand it, is that reality shifts for these folks. 
either there's voices telling them or there's a perception of what's real to them that nobody else can can jive with. Yeah. There were certain aha moments during my marriage, like like when she started accusing me of having a multi-satellite network, watching her in the shower and broadcasting naked pornography to the internet with her. And I tried to reason with her, like there's no way that could be happening. That's when I got in, ensnared because I was trying to reason with something wholly unreasonable. Well, Scott, I mention that all the time in representing clients is you did exactly what a lot of my clients do. And they come to me and like, I'm like, I know what the problem is here. And they're like, what's the problem? And they, they've already told me the whole thing. I said, you are trying to bring a rational solution to an irrational problem. And that is unachievable. Right. It's unachievable even the customer service field. If someone's being unreasonable, you can't reason with them. But I think there's another dimension to it. Emily mentioned that her ex could hide it. Well, I had 10 years of, from the time he was diagnosed to the time we were divorced to really work with him with this, you know, work with this doctor, work with him, understand what he's thinking, what he's feeling along with the meds and how, how par- uh, paranoia and schizophrenia was affecting him and the household. So you, were, you weren't in the dark on any of this? Uh, for the first four years I was, but after that, for the next 10 years, I was very aware of and working with it very closely. And in my case, and I mentioned that this is degenerative. So, I mean, it was the onset was like the proverbial bullying of the frog. She was perfectly normal, sweet, and even charming in front of literally everybody else but me. It was just behind closed doors with me when the crazy came out. So I started making an outcry going, I think something needs to go on here. And people are like, no, she's so nice. She's so nice. No, well, I'm the guy. So I'm the evil, horrible, toxic, masculine husband. Why are you trying to manipulate? You know, her family didn't even believe it was going on until well after the divorce happened. Okay. You know, when, when the divorce was going through, she refused to sign the papers to sell the house. And she was being crazy about it. And I had to tell the, I had to tell my real estate agents who I've been working with for years, you need to come over and be present and she'll sign it. And they see these things sound nuts when I'm perfectly, you know, sane. But at this point, like when you're asking, making those requests of the real estate agents, were you, was there any part of you at that point that was questioning your own self and your own reality? Oh yeah. I was completely gaslit by all this thing. Yeah, I have to imagine that's the hindsight part right now. Sitting here on this podcast, it seems pretty easy for you both to be completely cogent about what happened in that history. But I imagine that was a tough road transitioning from, oh, my God, I think something's happening to how am I going to divorce this person? In psychology, there's a, uh, a principle called the Martha Mitchell effect. Are either of you guys familiar with who she was? I am not. Um, back, we're all too young, uh, during the Nixon administration. That was a relief to hear yeah. you say that, though, by the way. I'm just saying thank you. I, I, would, have, I, I yeah. would have paid money, Scott, if you would have said, <laughs> she was on the cover of Time Magazine last week. Yeah, right. right. Now, now we're too the old. Time uh, Magazine. Yeah, right. That was the other part of that joke. <laughs> exactly. See, Scott, I know you do stand-up comedy, but I just want to be your setup guy. That's all I want to be. <laughs> You're doing a great job. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Tip the wait staff, by the way. Yeah, that's right. Martha Mitchell was the wife of 
a Nixon administration higher up who was completely 100% involved with Watergate. And Martha was like a B-list celebrity before she married him and before he went into politics. And she resented him going into politics. She just wanted to live their life, you know. Kind of like how you can sort of picture Melania Trump being offline. (laughs) So she was a very, very early whistleblower saying, hey, my husband and this president are, are getting into trouble. They're doing crazy things. And because of her personality and her being a little flamboyant, nobody believed her. They thought she was the crazy one. But it turned out Martha Mitchell was 100% correct about all of it. So psychologists have kind of coined the phrase or the, or the, the effect of the Martha, Martha Mitchell effect. When someone who is sane is saying crazy things or trying to bring out something that's going on that is crazy. It sounds ludicrous. They seem like the crazy. Yeah. They, uh, our our uh, silent uh, partner, he who never speaks, Andy, has just told us they just made a mini series about her, played by Julia Roberts, called Gaslit. Yeah, That's we great. watched that show. Yes. Okay, okay, yeah. weekend, there we go. Weekend for me. I know what I'm doing now. That's right. right. Sean Penn plays Mitchell. Oh, actually, no, and you'll never him. recognize. Him. Uh, but that's true. Uh, but the Martha Mitchell fact is exactly that, and I felt. I I had the Martha Mitchell thing going on because, I mean, I, I was a, a successful businessman. I've come from a good family. I have no reason to try to throw my wife under the bus. But these people, I would say, hey, you know, I have this little problem where my wife seems to be doing this and that. And I would make outcries to people and they would go, oh, you know, impossible. And I'm thinking, well, then I guess I silently suffer. Yeah. I hope it goes away. And this, of course, degenerated to the point where she was disappearing with our daughter, you know. Unreal. Just leaving and turning up somewhere. And her family was in denial because nobody wants to admit you got crazy people in your family, right? Yeah. And I, I firmly remember she was moving out of the house after the divorce. The divorce lawyers didn't believe it. Okay, that's where I want to go because obviously law podcasts, like how do you how do you make that transition in this space to I have to get out of here. Please, somebody sever this divorce. Oh, she divorced me. She divorced you. Oh, yeah. She thought I was ruining her life and had plots to kill her, and she wanted to take me down. It gets better. She moved in again. What? What? <laughs> we're getting way ahead of ourselves. But there was a moment. There was a beautiful, wonderful moment where we were showing the house. and She, she, had, she had actually one day in her craziness come back and claimed eminent domain on the home. I'm not leaving. You know, she moved back in against my will. And of course, the sheriff couldn't do anything. Right, okay. Simple matter, get a judge. And it happened that the movers were trying to bring her stuff back in the house against my will. And we were actually showing the house at the same time. That is such a positive thing to do when you're selling the house, is having a literally a couch going in and out of the front door <laughs> by, by the owners. At that point, that was way in the rear, way, way down the priority list because the most beautiful thing happened. Okay. Right there in front of everybody, in front of real, actual, unknown people, she started going to town on me in public. She started announcing, Hey, this guy right here and saying preposterous accusations to me, you know, basically that I, I could, you know, I, I sprouted wings at night and flew around the house like a, like a vampire bat. 
in that moment, Scott, you got independent third party verification from unbiased witnesses to go into court and say, this is what she said. Vindication par excellence. Boom. And then unreal. Everybody was like, I, I mean, I remember the date my lawyer said, I'm never going to doubt you again. She's nuts. I'll never doubt you again. So I have a question about that, Scott. I have a question about that. What happens a lot is a client will tell me that their spouse is X. Narcissist is the big one, right? Gaslighting me all the time, right? And I tell them, do not give me a diagnosis. It is not persuasive. You're not a medical professional. Talk to me about behaviors. Yes. What does she say when? Where are these things said? What is she doing? I want to be the proverbial fly on the wall. If I was the fly on the wall, what would I see? How does this stuff manifest itself? And those are the type of behaviors that I then bring to the court to try to persuade the court. If I'm in court, I'm trying to persuade the judge to do something. When I'm doing that, I'm trying to persuade the judge to get a psychological evaluation. I'm trying to persuade the judge that you should have your child more because of these issues for the child's safety. How were those conversations, and same with you, Emily, how were those conversations with your lawyer? My situation, it's funny, although we have crazy exes, we our experiences were somewhat different. So my divorce... I, you know, I had, I finally had enough of the crazy and, uh, it, it got really bad in the household. And like I said, my, I didn't realize it, but I sort of kind of knew it, but I was ignoring it, that my life was in danger. He finally admitted to me in one particular episode he was having that he needed me to stay away from him because he's hearing voices in his head that's telling him to kill me. Wow. And so when I was trying to divorce him, it was very incredibly difficult. Not so much from him. I was afraid he'd kill himself. And I was going to feel guilty for this. Well, he tried. It was going to be my fault. Yeah, he did try. There were attempts. But the other obstacle I was having, which was probably maybe larger than that, was family. Because the family did everything in their power to keep us together. Wow. They don't believe it. And they thought he was the victim for him. And he played that like a fiddle. How? Just a a question. How does that work legally about suicide threats? That's a thing. Yeah. No, it's a thing that happens a lot. And... Emily, you described it very well from all of my experiences of dealing with clients when they said, I'm stuck in this marriage. And I say, there's always two people required to get married, one to get divorced. You're allowed to make that decision. And they say, he will harm himself. He will kill himself. And it'll be all my fault. And it will be all my fault. And I said, the way I deal with this a lot is I would say to Emily, Emily, If your best friend came to you and said, I am staying in this marriage because I'm afraid if I leave, I will feel guilty the rest of my life because my spouse committed suicide, what advice would you give to your friend? Well, um, the one that I got was he's an adult. He's a full-grown adult, fully capable of making of his own decisions. And I can't be responsible for what he does. And so I had to let go and hope for the best. Uh, He did try committing suicide, which I saved his life. 
I just had an intuition that something went wrong and woke up my son in the middle of the night. Let's go and went to his apartment because we were separated mm-hmm. and um, he didn't answer. He called the police. They thought I was, <laughs> they thought I was the crazy one. Oh my <laughs> I'm like, look, he's schizophrenic. I think he's trying to harm himself. And we had to get his parents to come. And you called for you called for a wellness check. Yeah, but they wouldn't. They wouldn't. They they thought well, he's probably in there with another woman, and I'm being jealous. And like, I'm the one who initiated the divorce. You know, you know, jealousy is not here. Uh, we got his parents to show up, and his father talked the uh, officer into breaking down that door. And he he was in intensive care for I think a week. He's still he has disabilities to this day from it. He he meant it. Emily was like, told you so. But what's yeah. interesting <laughs> is the family didn't believe he was schizophrenic. No, they didn't they, deny they, it. No. They thought his mother's like, honey, you need to believe in God and God will say he's not schizophrenic. He just needs to, you know, go to God and the demons will leave him alone. There, there's a spiritual element on both sides of the equation in this, in, in these stories also. Okay. But it wasn't until his, once he moved in with mom and dad after the second attempt, well, the first attempt at their house and then the third, well, that which is the second attempt, right, was be the first one at his house. The third attempt at their house, the the uh, hospital called me because they still had me listed as contact. Yes, yeah, contact. And she was upset by that, the, the his mother. But she finally sat down and said, you know what? I finally understand what you've been living with. She finally had to admit to it. Wow. Again, that's that's a little bit of vindication. I'm really curious, like all of this story for both of you, it feels like it uh, it's all taking sort of forever to lead to the actual divorce. How easy or hard was the actual divorce it, itself, right? I mean, was it a thing that happened very, very slowly then all at once? Well, it should have been fast, but, you know, because he tried committing suicide and I was the, the breadwinner of the family. Uh, and the insurance was through me, I went ahead and delayed the divorce so that he could have insurance as long as possible. And then uh, when his, when he, I think my attorney had called saying, you know, what his demands were, you know, they wanted full custody of my son. They wanted alimony, which in Texas doesn't exist for the most part. You know, the, it's hard to get alimony here and he didn't qualify, but they were demanding it. And so I- He didn't meet the I, requirements for it. My attorney laughed. She says, Emily, you don't have to worry about it. I said, I understand. I said, this is what we're dealing with. If I had to guess, I think his dad and the attorney were talking and finding, you know, we're upset and finding, you know, we got to, let's fix this. And so I called Fred. I said, hey, we got two choices. Either I fight your dad and the attorney and you'll lose because you're schizophrenic uh, and I have a full-time job, or we can do this the civil way, which is how it should be done. You and I work together and figure out something that's healthy for our son. So, you know, we share custody and uh, we'll split everything down the middle. So what is it going to be? And after that, when I had that firm conversation with him, because it was, you know, you're not going to get what you want. We're going to either do this fairly or you're going to lose. He, he got the message. And after that, it, it was, I think we were done in 30 days. All right. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. Seth, according to the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, about 10% of children live with a parent with an alcohol use disorder. It's just tragic. Pete, we hear this statistic all the time. At the end of the day, the courts don't care about the statistic. The courts care about keeping kids safe. And when I mean safe, I mean safe from a party who truly suffers from an alcohol 
disorder or is being wrongly accused of having alcoholism or some other alcohol disorder. It's easy and it saves you money. Instead of he said, she said, there's Soberlink. Soberlink is fantastic and they are a fantastic partner to this show. So what is Soberlink? Soberlink is a device. It's like a breathalyzer, but it is more. You blow into Soberlink whenever you want to prove in real time that you are safe to be with your kids at carpool, at drop-off, at handoff, whenever you're going to be driving, you blow into Soberlink. It uses facial recognition to prove that you were the one blowing at the time that you are taking the reading. It sends it off to the people who need to know. People involved directly in your case, not to be used for publication, not to be used for social media. This just goes to the people who matter most for your case as you are collecting data. Soberlink Remote Alcohol Monitoring has helped over 500,000 people prove their sobriety and provide peace of mind during parenting time. And Seth, word on the street is courts love it. Yeah. And it's not just when you're getting in a car. Let's be clear. People can say, never gotten a DUI. What's the issue? Well, the issue is once you're home at five o'clock and you're no longer driving, but you're going to start cooking and having a glass of wine and that glass of wine turns into two bottles. That's now an issue. So it's not just getting in the car. It's when you, the children are in your care, custody and control, are you focused on them and not using alcohol? Independent third party, real time verification to support your case. I haven't been drinking Here's the proof. Those are the words that lawyers and courts love, but here are the words you're going to love. You can save 50 bucks off your device and get started right away at Soberlink.com slash toaster. That's Soberlink.com slash toaster. Thank you to Soberlink for sponsoring this show. You know, Seth, you mentioned briefly the uh, functional utility of viewing a situation as if you're a third party. You know, we we do that even in our dating coaching practice nowadays because people will come to us and go, listen, why don't you have an out-of-body experience and look at this as if you were looking at another couple? That's right. Th- then what would you say? And I think especially when we get confronted with legality, I think most non-legal professionals fear the legal system and just want to stay out of it. And I'm, again, if you're an optimist, generous person, an optimistic, generous person, you want out of it. But if you're a borderline personality sufferer, bring it on. I mean, the more legal, the more that the uh, lawyers get all the money, the more it gets dragged on, the more pain, the more drama, the happier they are. Scott, and, that's my analogy. If you wrestle yeah. with the pig, the pig likes it and you get dirty. Yeah. What did, uh, Will, what did Will Rogers say? Never argue with an idiot. They'll drag you down to their level and beat you with experience. Right. right. Arguing with crazy is a lot like that. You'll, you'll get into crazy town. You'll be in, in crazy town city limits. And um, I only have two things to add what Emily said. 20 years ago, I think things were a little different than they are now. I actually, contrary to a lot of the angry guys out there, I think the legal system is becoming more equitable with dads than it used to be. But in Texas 20 years ago, because I'm the dad, because I'm the man, I was assumed to be the aggressor and that the mom was supposed to come out on top. Yeah, check your local jurisdiction on this, Scott. Florida just passed a new statute, parenting plans. Yep. Presumption 50-50. That is pro-dad. Uh, that's the way it should be because, boy, do we, we've seen it all as dating coaches. We know that women can be awful, men can be awful. But, you know, when, you're, when you start talking about what's going on and you start saying things like, and also, again, this is the other thing I was going to piggyback onto that. 
when you're a full grown man and you say, I fear for my safety, I think my wife will hurt me. I think she's trying to kill me. Then people will go, what are you, some kind of wuss? Women can't hurt you. You're a guy. But I mean, if I fall asleep at night, she stabs me in my sleep. Well, voila, you know what I mean? And Not exactly the way you want to say I told you so. Well, exactly. There's not no, going to be anything left to say. Take it to a real dark place. <laughs> well, I mean, wow. You know, but I didn't we gotta... see that coming, Pete. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny if you can't laugh at this stuff. But, what uh, were his, his yeah. nine words? I told you I told you so. You so. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And yeah. notice Emily wasn't like, but don't worry, I'll call the police and do a welfare check on you. <laughs> <laughs> they won't believe me anyway. No. Right. I mean, you know, you go back in time and, you, and it's hard to really put yourself back in that that psych, psyche, that mindset you had back then. If it were all going to happen again, which, of course, it never will, because I got the right one here. No, look at you. God, cute as bookends. Stop it. <laughs> She's the cute one. She makes me look. Your glow reflects on my... <laughs> right. You just, you, you repress the negative memory. You move on because you're optimistic and generous. You know, and you don't remember why. You don't remember what it felt like. You don't want to. But then you realize, man, yeah, I just felt ashamed. I, I felt like no one was listening to me. And I just felt like it was my private battle. And then you take the spiritual dimension of, you know, for better or worse, till death do you part, it's sickness and health. And this was sickness. And I can't leave. I'm trapped. And so after she left me, um, I mean, among the other things she did just to make this quintessentially brutal is she never cheated on me. I don't think to this day she's ever had sex with anybody else. So from a, a Judeo-Christian perspective, I'm not allowed to move on. But see, she's not the woman I married. She, she, she's, she's a completely different human. I've heard this before. Yes, where so people will say, people will say, I can't get divorced. Okay, what leads you to that conclusion? And they'll say they haven't cheated on me. There's been no domestic violence. They handle money appropriately. And I say back, let me be clear. You were saying that you, and they like, I just wish I could get divorced. And I said, so you're wishing that you will be the victim of domestic violence because then it's okay to get divorced. You're wishing that your husband would cheat on you because then it's okay to get divorced. Well, but there's a dogmatic religious mandate behind that sometimes. Sometimes there is, and I appreciate where you're coming from on that. And I will tell them, and I've been in court where the court has told you, I appreciate and I respect everyone's religion, but this is a civil court of law. So you, it takes one person to get divorced. And the most difficult cases that I deal with are when there's mental illness, including addiction. I'll just lump that in for this conversation. Agree. And yeah. children. Well, for sure. Yeah. And I didn't realize how much mental illness and addiction there was out there in the world until I was doing Florida family law divorce lawyer. <laughs> You're in Florida. Yeah. Right. You almost need a counseling degree at this rate. Yeah. yeah. No, listen, me too. I, 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 grew up, counselor. I grew up in such a healthy environment. I remember the first time I moved to a town that was a little round, all rough around the edges. It occurred to me the Jerry Springer show probably wasn't fake and scripted. Yeah. Because I right, started right. really meeting people those things who are out weren't yeah. functional. I, I, I want to ask you because we, we, you just brought up kids. Like, I, you know, so much of this show, we talk about co parenting after a divorce. And 
that seems like a rocky road in this scenario. And, and not so, like Scott, the good ice cream, kids. not like the good ice cream <laughs> kind, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, Scott, you didn't have kids before? Is I did. True? We each you had did? one. You yeah. both? Oh, my God. Yes. How do you co-parent? How do you come to an agreement where co-parenting is, is possible? Is that remotely? I was Mr. Nice Guy. I let the court split it. Um, she got crazier and crazier. And of course, I love my daughter, my older daughter. And what happened was there were clauses. And her family was protecting her when those clauses were breached because she moved five hours away back to be with her family. She could hide a lot of stuff. So, yeah. And then my daughter was, was rather young. And to this day, and, and I don't really want to make this about my daughter because I don't think it would be fair to her because she's an adult, you know, with her own identity nowadays. But by, by my daughter's own admission nowadays, she was basically Stockholmed Patty Hearst style into taking her mother's side all the time, lest mom kill herself because, oh, my God, I've lost my daughter. It was very manipulative. I the mean, exact just, same tactics that were pulled on. Yeah, you know, I mean, she is right? who she is. I'm yeah, not special. You know what right, I mean? So right. once this all came really, I mean, it came I want to ask the, you about that real quick because you just okay. said you're not special. In in we think you're special, Scott. Very special. <laughs> but no. I say this a lot, and I'm asking you whether you agree with it. And Pete already knows that if you agree with it, I'm going to brag about that. So, <laughs> so watch your um, answer, please. Right. For me. I think I know okay, what I'm with so, so, What comes next? Now, what comes know? next is I tell people that your divorce is one of the most personal feelings that you will be feeling attacked all the time through your divorce. But in actuality, it has nothing to do with you because your spouse would be doing the same shit if they were divorcing someone else. Oh, 100%. And that's the mental illness. He, he said 100%, Pete. Just I know. I know. <laughs> let, let, let me frame that up for you. Sure. Please do. And I hope this doesn't come as a curveball. Okay, but this is the voice of experience. At the time of my divorce, it was extremely easy for me to forgive and not have any bitterness. You know, you have all these men going their own way who they have a bad experience with a woman. I'm going to swear off all these women. They're all, you know, conniving, crazy bitches, and I don't want any more of them. Well, I'm not going to give my ex superpowers over my future happiness like that. I'm not going to let her corner me, paint me into the victimization corner, because then she continues to rule me from a distance forever. The best way I can heal from it is to, to forget about her and thrive. Okay, which is hard to do when you share parenting. However, it was particularly easy for me to forgive my ex because she was sick. Yeah, and that's not a curveball. I get that. It's just like blaming someone for being diabetic or having cancer or whatever. I mean, look, she couldn't help it. Now, here's where the curveball comes in. More like a slider. Okay, it's fast and furious. It's 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 insidious. For the next decade, that woman took that and ran roughshod over me with it. Because ultimately, she's not a nice person. So she's sick and not a nice person. Ultimately, okay. she's got some evil in her. Evil. I, I, she, I told her she, for years, yes, she's schizophrenic, but she's also evil. I told you so as a running theme here, isn't it? Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Man, let me tell you, that's not just in your marriage. I've been married for like literally six weeks. 
literally six I've weeks. I've never heard so, six weeks. I've never heard so many I told you so. Yeah. We don't really say I told you no, so. We, we actually, we make mistakes together. <laughs> we I told you, you so on podcast. In the 17 yeah. years. This, it just became the title of the show right now. Listen, this is a huge takeaway, gentlemen and ladies. If there's two of you, what are you, schizophrenic? <laughs> you, know, you always have each other. Ouch. Seeing devil. <laughs> we, we, we have very dark humor about yeah. this. I do stand up about this, you know. All right, so basically what happens is it occurs to me she's evil. You know what? You can be crazy and not be a good person. Yeah, those two things can be separate. So then I started holding her accountable for her actions instead of saying, oh, well, you know what? She's crazy. I just got to navigate it. Which is different from my ex, who's crazy, but not evil. That's, that's true. That's he's a, just, he's just running. He's just, yeah. So I was Mr. Nice Guy with her. And then so because she's BPD, borderline, back to the court system, back for another pound of flesh drag my daughter through it again. And I'm thinking, if I love my daughter, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tell her and her lawyer to go F themselves the next time they show up because I've been Mr. Nice Guy. What happened was, remember I told you, the family was hiding it. She got institutionalized. She did one too many crazy things. She got, what she did was she attacked a police officer with rocks and then got locked up and then she took the crazy plea and went and was institutionalized. Her family took the baby. I never got a call. As soon as I am a co-custodial, I, we share custody. Right. I'm supposed to have her. But the problem is they risked that legally because the jig would be up because now all of a sudden they knew that sis was crazy. Yeah, and that's what happened in parenting plans is all I can do as your attorney in a parenting plan is say, listen, and we can go to the judge, and the judge might order it. And this would be an extreme case. You are, ma'am, you're going to be having medical testing on blood or urine or whatever to make sure that you're taking your medication regularly, right? You betcha. I'll have it. Got temporary orders, daughters with me indefinitely. Right. Then when the temporary orders expired, there was this ironclad thing, okay? If any of this happens, dad gets full custody forever, and you will get um, supervised visit visitation with a sheriff deputy once every two months. But you need to know. And if they have other people hiding it. But you also have the strength. You have to have the strength to enforce well, it. Well, also, you also have to want it badly enough. Right. That's right. Am I in a position to really have my daughter constantly forever? Okay. I've had cases where people say, I just can't do this fight anymore. So finally, one day they called me and I, I realized with the help of, of someone who, who was looking at it as a third party, you know, you can be crazy and, and, and be friendly. She's crazy and evil. Crazy has nothing to do with whether she's a good or a bad person. And yes, some people are bad people. There, I said it. Some people just are evil. I have a very, very good friend kind of a, a mentor of mine who's a very, very prominent psychiatrist who gave me the best definition of evil ever. And it's de deriving joy from the pain and suffering of others. She's that person, crazy or not. So I just stopped putting up with it. And I met her and used her own stuff against her and told her and her lawyer, you know what, you bring it. And I told that lawyer, why don't you read page, page, I said, why don't you read page 26 of 2004, which was the, which was the temporary order. 
And when you do, you MF her, you'll never ring my phone ever again. And you tell your you tell your client one more peep out of her and I'm coming for it. And he was like, you know, he's this macho guy down in South Texas. Oh, oh, oh well, Mr. McKay, we'll see about that. I go, oh no. Use those exact words with your client. I have a feeling she's sitting right next to you. Four words. I'm coming for it. And I didn't hear from him ever again, legally. You see, so it was no more Mr. Nice Guy. Well, part of this too is people will change their behaviors, good or bad, when you change how you deal with them. Yes, and, and they're, if they're manipulative people, they'll take everything they can get. What we've talked a lot about that shows how to deal with people that have different, like if they're a narcissist or if they're controlling, how do you communicate with them? And people say, man, he knows how to push my buttons. I'm like, you're, they're your <laughs> buttons. You're allowed to disconnect them, right? <laughs> so, take back that remote. Uh, yeah, right? Exactly. You, you know, it's funny so, how also being in this field with a lot of angry people who are single and for a reason and having an internet list of 64,000 anonymous users will give you a thick skin. You know, you learn how quickly how not to take things personally. So I was already on that road. But boy, let me tell you, one of the things about being a man is, is you know, we hear a lot about toxic masculinity and men are the problem. There's a dark side of, pro- of providing and protecting for your family. And I don't want to get into it too much, but it started becoming such that there was a threat from ex-wife and older daughter that threatened the well-being of the family in my house who still loves me. Yeah, right. And she was like, are you going to stand up to this? Or are you going to put it to an end? And that's when I realized I had to do something dark if I was going to be a provider and a protector. It's like, hey, man, days all over again. You can't just be nice all the time and have this all be pleasant. That's what they're, they're, they're thriving on. Right. I had checked this with another attorney at law who was also a life coach out in California. And, and, and she, was, she went from being a family lawyer to being a coach. And she was, she's wonderful and still is. Everybody I knew who I trusted enough to let them in on this dark side of my life. I have never had one person say I was the bad guy. I've had everybody go, freaking final. Thank you. Including my daughter and my son and my wife. My daughter and son, we have two together. A sigh of relief. You've just got to do something sometimes. Sure. And um, Incredible. One thing we haven't talked about is, you know, let's bring this full circle. Our first date. She's, she found out so much. She goes, you know, my ex-husband is schizophrenic. Oh, I, we, we had somebody in common. She happened yeah, I, to know I, him. I was giving you the short version. Yeah, okay. It's a small world. So she gave me the news. And it was like, you ever see the Spider-Man meme where they're all pointing at each other? Yeah, right. You! Right? Yeah. It's like, it, it was this, first of all, she's everything I've ever looked for. She's precious, okay? She's wonderful. She's level-headed. I wanted someone optimistic and generous who was sane. I mean, I'm the drama queen in this family, and I'm pretty level-headed. She, she, Shocking. She doesn't even PMS, we, okay? didn't, we didn't pick yeah. up on that. I'm glad you just laid that out there. I, what can I say? So, I mean, she's everything I've ever looked for, everyone I've ever looked for. We have never had one day in this marriage that was like most days of my previous marriage. It's just this is what life's supposed to be like. But she says the same, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Fantastic. You both have done something that is hard to do, is you've learned from your previous relationship and how it impacted you and what you can change about it and what you can't. Right. And then when we didn't become victims. Yeah. 
We didn't, we didn't get negative and let it harm us. And, and I, I know in my divorce, I made lots of mistakes. I didn't listen to my attorney, first of all. Okay, let's wrap okay, the show right, right there. <laughs> drop the mic. <laughs> Pete you didn't know that that was on. a particular dog whistle on this show. <laughs> uh, no, I had a great attorney, but man, she, she, she wrote me the right act and I still didn't listen. She's like, you need to get what's yours. And I felt so guilty leaving him because he's ill. You know, he tried committing suicide for a legit, you know, legitimately tried to. He was disabled. He, he, his boss fired him while he was still in intensive care. Actually, he did. He asked me to do it for him. <laughs> so he's like, and, and we have a child. So he begged me. He said, please, you know, don't, don't make me pay child support. I can't afford it. But as soon as I start getting a job, I'll help pitch in with the expenses. I'm like, all right, fine. So I, I, I took on all the financial responsibilities and I took on all the credit card expenses and, you know, try to make the divorce, you know, as easy as possible. And, uh, yeah. And of course, you know, I had to live with those decisions down the road. But yeah, that's like I said, listen to your attorney. <laughs> well, you guys, this is, I mean, it, it, they're, they're incredible stories. I can't believe you found each other <laughs> after this. Oh, well, we, knew, we both had dated a lot. We both were diligent about not making the same mistake ever again. Mm-hmm. And we recognized each other. Yeah. Well, I imagine you would. We were honest in our dating profiles about who we were looking for. We weren't casting this wide net, hoping, hoping for someone who could fog a mirror. And two optimistic, generous people make fantastic couples. That's right. As it turns out. Yeah. Look at that, Seth. Right. We've learned that is not today. shocking. Joy. You know, on that same note, the, the, you mentioned, Seth, how the, the word gaslighting and even like narcissistic have just become. Yeah throwaway buzzwords right like they're used so often they don't mean anything anymore i studied gaslighting 15 years ago i, I knew I, I studied gaslighting before gaslighting was cool okay yeah, so i mean wow and and the narcissism the way the narcissism works on a clinical level is is they will be nice to people they will be sweet even generous to people as long as it serves their needs as soon as someone stands in the way of what they want and what they're trying to do, they'll take you down under the radar. Yeah, things change. And what what where's more under the radar than your own home behind closed doors? Yeah, sure. And, and so you know, it's hard to to play the narcissist game with me anymore because I can call it out. I I know how to. The sad part is, you married this person because you loved this person. You didn't bargain for the mental illness. So you don't want to be this cold-hearted person who completely disassociates from the person that you married because you love them. But you got to do what you got to do or else you're feeding the disease. Yeah. At some point, you make the turn. Like, like Emily was saying, like at some point, you feel guilty because they're sick. But at some point, you're the one who's sick if you're staying around that long. And some people have just forfeited the right to be part of the adult conversation anymore. All right. Well, we got to You guys, we got to wrap it up. This has been fantastic. And I, I again, you're uh, what an incredible set of stories and uh, circumstances that you've overcome. Pete, I will tell you, this is such an amazing topic and yeah. just such great guests that I don't really want to end the show, especially because they keep agreeing with me. 
So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you're the man. first lawyer I've ever agreed a whole lot with. Oh, my ever. goodness. Stop. <laughs> Stop doing that, Scott. Stop crying out loud. Have you learned nothing in the last 45 minutes? You're feeding the bear. God. <laughs> This I love you great, too, Pete. Don't worry. <laughs> I don't really know what you do for a living. It probably involves pizza, but I love pizza if that helps. Hey, I'll take it. I'll take right. it. Hey, uh, but tell that's us, my favorite hat. Give, he has. A, give us a, give us a plug. Tell us about your tell about tell us. About, I want to say tell us about your podcasts, but uh, it, and and the BMX racing and the, all the stuff that you guys do. It's I, I don't know how to encapsulate it. What, how do you plug yourselves right now? Fun and adventure is what we decided is a great way to raise a family instead of strife and drama. Our podcast that we do together is X and Y on the fly. You can find it on podcasts anywhere, uh, anywhere you get podcasts, Apple, uh, I guess Spotify is out of business, but you know, you know where to find it, Google podcast. My podcast that I do almost uniquely for men is called the mountaintop podcast. And that is by far a bigger show. Uh, it's a good show. I have great guests on. And you can find that as well. A lot of women lurk and listen to it. If you go to scottmckay.net front slash couples, we will accommodate whether you're a man or a woman and you rather, whether you like to read or listen, we've got all kinds of great information for you. And we welcome you. We'd love to talk to you too. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. We want to help people find joy and happiness, especially going through divorce. It's just, it just really, even through the, best of easy divorces i'm sure it's still very difficult it's a grieving process no it it really is and listen we have a lot of people who come to us who have gone through something similar and and here's my message to everybody kind of as a mic drop you're not mentally ill yourself you're not crazy you don't need a mental health professional that's why coming to a coach helps you move forward win and go live the rest of your life you're not you're not the broken one You simply need to believe, gain the confidence back, get the skills you need not to make that mistake again. And that's what we do for a living. We'll let you have the mic drop. Scott, Emily McKay, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Thank you. You're fantastic. You got an awesome vibe. Uh, that's, that's it, everybody. Thank you so much for downloading and listening to this show. Don't forget, head over to howtosplitatoaster.com and uh, click that button, submit a question. We'd like to see your questions come in. You know, if, they, if you have questions for Scott and Emily, too, we'll send them their way, see if they'll answer them. Uh, maybe they'll answer them on a future episode of their podcast. Sure. That would be fantastic, too. So, uh, on behalf of Scott and Emily McKay and Seth Nelson, America's favorite divorce attorney, I'm Pete Wright. We'll catch you right here next week on How to Split a Toaster divorce podcast about saving your relationships. Seth Nelson is an attorney with NLG Divorce and Family Law with offices in Tampa, Florida. While we may be discussing family law topics, how to split a toaster is not intended to, nor is it providing legal advice. Every situation is different. If you have specific questions regarding your situation, please seek your own legal counsel with an attorney licensed to practice law in your jurisdiction. Pete Wright is not an attorney or employee of NLG Divorce and Family Law. Seth Nelson is licensed to practice law in Florida.